Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Hear what I hear. Do you hear what I hear? The boys, the boys, <laughs> crinkling the boy, in the air. The boys, the boys, they are a calling. It's a make a mix, folks. Here on Let's Hear It for the Boys. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we're going to be talking about the third episode of season one of The Boys. Get some. Pete, you ready? Get some. some. Pete, you ready to get some? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Justin, you ready to get some? Oh, I already got some, but I want some more. <laughs> oh, it's bragging. Uh, so, yeah, there's the third episode here, as usual, on this show. If you haven't watched the episode, turn away, because we're going to spoil it. We know turn it came away. out turn a while away. ago, but hey, we're just getting caught up. It's all good. We're chatting through stuff. Um, so we're going to give you a brief overview of the plot, and then we're going to talk through some of the major moments. You know, if you're listening to the podcast at home, feel free to chime in. Just start shouting stuff. I know I do. Well, and we'll <laughs> probably we'll hear it, right? We'll hear it through if the magic it's of true. Podcast. If it's true, we'll hear it. <laughs> right. If if it wasn't true in your heart, we won't respond to it here. But if it is true in your heart and you shout it while you're listening to the podcast, we'll respond. Every time a fan complains, an angel uh, sighs a little bit. Yeah, the angel's <laughs> like, oh, it's... this fucking guy. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, yeah, lots of stuff going on in this episode. As we talked about the last episode, there was a bunch of stuff that was teased that pays off here, specifically the race between A-Train and Shockwave. Um, yes. But the big things that we're dealing with are Huey is still picking up from the death of Translucent. He killed Translucent, blew up his ass, uh, not metaphorically, but literally, last episode. I think both. I think yeah, both sure. metaphorically and uh, literally. I mean, he, he didn't blow up just his ass. It was all of him that blew up. Yeah, but it started with the ass. It was from the ass up. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it's an ass bomb. It is. Yeah. It was literally an ass bomb, I guess, as opposed yeah. to figuratively an ass bomb, which I don't know what that is. Uh, so he's dealing with the death of Translucent. Uh, he's very thrown by that. But Butcher isn't stopping. He wants to move forward with their plan to take out the soups. They want to know what Compound V is. So to do that, they end up tracking down Popclaw, who is A-Train's girlfriend, getting her in a compromising position by the end of the episode uh, to get some blackmail over her. But in the process, um, Huey finds himself a little bit more of the team. We meet Mother's Milk, who's the next member of the team. Uh, we haven't met the whole team yet. Uh, we'll see them pretty soon. Uh, but this is the next one here, who's very different from Frenchie, very different from Butcher, but knew them back in the day. Uh, we get a little bit of bonding between Mother's Milk and Huey that goes on this episode. And then on the other side of the spectrum, on the seven side, lots of stuff going on there. We oh, yeah. find out uh, Annie gets a new costume, which is very nice and nobody has any problems with. Mm -hmm. well, 
<laughs> no, it's like a sexy costume, and I do want to talk about that. Maybe we'll even oh start with that. How um, can you even just trying to recap? You still sound like a perv. Thank you very much. Listen, sometimes people have sexy costumes. Doesn't make them perverted. It's just a thing. All right. Yeah, but when uh, older dude is describing the costume and can't even like be nice about it, he's be like, "It was a sexy costume." I didn't say it like that, and you're older than me. That's that's a good point. We're yeah. both old. You're the you're uh, actually yeah, I wasn't just saying. All I'm saying you is you're old. the one. I said, "Oh, and it's like a sexier costume." That was the tone of voice I used, nope, and then nope, you nope. were the one trying to imitate my voice. Who is? I will point out once again: the older dude in this scenario said, "Sexy costume." So I didn't actually say that. You said that, like that. You were okay. the one being creepy. Let's let's rewind the tape and listen to it again, and we'll see. Is if this I'm like right a or... is this a reverse pissing contest to see who's <laughs> older and weirder? <laughs> yeah. Is that what's happening right now? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, a dribbling, a, a piss dribbling kind. Yeah, I would dribbling. just like That's to go one podcast where uh, Zelman can keep it together, and not sound like a complete perv. Okay, Pete, you recap. Explain what's going on with Starlight's costume in this episode. All right, great. So basically, what we saw was uh, Starlight uh, kind of stepped away from the cor- uh, corporation and uh, tried to handle something on her own. Uh, they were no, very no, no, we're talking about the about costume. They, we're talking about the costume, Pete. Yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah. there, Justin. I'm getting there. I see. Oh, you're going back in your recap. I'm going back oh, to okay. give you. You're the, starting earlier because yeah. you're revving and it up. So and I can see. I can see the monkeys going in your head, trying to type on all the typewriters, figure out how to not say "sexy costume" and describe this plot line. So go ahead. Would Pete. you let me fucking finish? I would love to. You're the one who said, "Why don't you recap it?" So all that's what I'm doing. Yeah, but Great. now I'm so, doing what you do, which is lumping on you while you're trying to do the recap. Guys, no more lumps. Pete has the floor. (laughs) So I appreciate what you're trying to do. So um, basically, she stepped out of line. And then, uh, yeah, I see your hand up. Wait for it, please. Um, uh, So she steps out of line. They say you can't do things like that without us. You can't go out on your own. It was videotaped. It can get spun. And to punish her. To let her know that she doesn't can do whatever she wants, that she's a part of a corporation, uh, part of a team, and they tell her what to do. She gets downgraded. Her costume gets downgraded to something that is not appropriate for someone to wear out in public. Interesting. Um, that's an interesting so, take. Sorry, term- just to check real quick, Pete. Uh, so you're saying that sort of outfit is not appropriate to wear in public? So you're saying that women shouldn't be allowed to wear whatever they want. <laughs> this is no, not this is dare, not a useful yeah. direction for anyone. Yeah, this is don't you don't even try. When punishing Pete is something I believe in in my heart. But <laughs> yeah. um uh, I think you're both on odd sides of the spectrum when what I think is happening here is totally unrelated to whatever Starlight's doing on her own. This is what their uh PR team wants to put Starlight yes. the character in because it is um, a, they're adding this uh, sexual angle to this uh, wholesome character that they have here, and they want to be able to develop her into um, a movie franchise, so they're trying to put what society um, thinks a hot woman would be wearing. And we don't have any time for questions, so let's okay. move on to... <laughs> well, what I would like to say is she's going into that room because she's in trouble, and the PR team is all fake. They they are putting this spin on it, but uh, it started because she is being punished for what she's done. I do think we're brushing over the biggest 
point here that's going on in this particular scene is that the two marketing dudes are named Seth and Evan, which are the two yes. producers of the series. I don't yes. think it's very specifically Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg or anything like that. It's obviously poking fun at them a little bit, but I love like we talked about before, the parody aspects of, of course, this is what two nerds would want out of a superhero character. Right. Yeah. I would disagree. Well, uh, uh, there I, are three I of us think... on the podcast, Justin and I, two nerds agreed, and the third nerd disagreed, so I'm still correct. Okay, I'm just saying that, like, uh, you know, I mean, like, if just because you're a nerdy guy doesn't mean you want the, the woman to be wearing, like, you know what I mean? No, no I know. It's a perception said, issue. I, yeah, and I also per- think for you to say it's a down, it's not like they downgraded her to a uh, a costume that is worse. They weren't like, you're going to wear this worse costume. They're it putting is- her in a position that is meant to be like uh, a Miss Universe contestant, as opposed to this wholesome um, young woman who first showed up, who came out of like a very Christian Midwest uh, but you- Lifestyle. But because of her reaction, in her mind, it is a downgrade. She has a nice, comfortable outfit that she created that she's very comfortable wearing. And then someone's making her wear something that isn't as appropriate. Of course. As, I don't think yeah. I think we're all saying the same yeah, thing, but you just don't <laughs> want to say the word sex, Pete, for some reason. <laughs> I don't have any problem saying the word sex. I'm just saying that, like, you know, you just said I don't have any problem saying the word kissing. That's what you just said. <laughs> you can't yeah, what do say you the think word you sex? said? Do you th- because you said I had, I don't have any problem saying the word, <laughs> and then your head just exploded. It was yeah. Wild. You were like the mask. Um, You're like the wolf in mask, the werewolf. Jim Carrey. Uh, the main thing that I think that's so smart about the scene, beyond the cheeky thing of calling them Seth and Evan, is that the dialogue here is so precise to what goes on in comic book creation and superhero creation. It's Hollywood, clearly, like they're riffing off of that. But it goes down to what so many male creators say about female creators in comics, word for word. And I, we've talked about this a lot on a lot of different podcasts, but there's oftentimes you get a comic book TV show and the jokes are not precise. You know, they'll be like, I'm a nerd. I like Star Wars. And that's kind of where they end with. I say as I'm wearing a Star Wars T-shirt right now. So really, really self-slamming. But it's it's very general jokes. This is such a specific joke of like male comic book creators being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We created this character. She wears a skimpy costume because it empowers her. Don't you understand? This is really empowering the female side of her. And a lot of comic book fans nod and go, okay, all right, that makes sense. That makes sense. But we clearly get to see here that, of course, that does not make sense. That's not what Starlight wants. That's not who she wants to be. And again, it's, it's social commentary, but it's also very precise to the world that they're working in at the same time, which also uh, is very laudable. It's also very impractical. Um, I don't know about that. If you're going to go to battle, right, you would want something that covers a little bit more to give you more protection. You don't I don't know. Anytime I got challenged to a fight, I showed up in a speedo and I instantly won. <laughs> fight over, especially when I was covered with baby oil. Yeah, no you, were the, you were the oiler, right? Was your yeah. superhero name? That was the Houston oiler. 
That's where I fucked. Right? <laughs> uh, well, that was. I was my middle. character was later adapted into the Watchmen, right? The TV show. Uh, we did really touch on the last thing, and we'll certainly come back and talk more about Starlight in a second. Uh, but the last big thing that happens in the episode is we get a lot of the relationship between Homelander and Maeve in this episode as they go to fight crime. Homelander clearly wants to just, like, run away with Maeve. He wants to re-spark an old relationship they had. She doesn't want anything to do with him. We get more horrific sociopathic behavior from Homelander when he basically, for fun, kills a shooter with his bare hands uh, and then sets up a situation so that he can get away with it. Uh, And then the, also the last little bit there is we find out exactly what happened to translucent. He was in a box at the bottom of the ocean. Homelander finds him. And now they know that the boys are coming for them at the end of the episode. Great ending to the episode. Yeah. Um, And again, fun music. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk through it a little bit. Let's talk about some specific moments. Uh, Huey, obviously, is the star of the show. He's the main character. Uh, What did you think about his arc in this episode in particular? Well, Well, go ahead. ahead. No, you go. I I really think that uh, Huey is killing it uh, as far as like as an actor, he has to pull off so much, especially in this episode where he's freaked out. Uh, by kind of what he's done, and I'm very happy it picks right up after the ass bomb explosion. Uh, he's kind of washing off his face in the sink. Then he kind of goes and, like, loses it at home, has an interaction with his dad, and then is kind of, like, confessing to Mother's Milk, like, okay, this is, like, what happened. It kind of felt good, and then Mother's Milk kind of gives him a, a, a like warning, and then he's got to go right into kind of like date mode, and has this cute like second date with Starlight, and it's uh, it's a big, it's a lot to have one character go through in one episode, but I tell you, uh, this guy is killing it as an actor. Yeah, and I really love the way they sort of play it all. Like it's Huey having just uh, his life has changed so much, and he is he killed Translucent. He believe he took a moment, considered his action, it wasn't an accident, and then killed um, this soup well, uh, at the end of last episode. He also looked for the in, at the kind of like inspirational poster, and that kind of like pushed him over the edge a little bit. You well, know? but I think yeah, I mean. Uh, it's hard though when you're if you commit a crime or do something to blame a poster uh, person. Well, sometimes if you have like a like a little cat poster and it's saying like "hang in there," and if you stare too long into the eyes, you mm-hmm. know they start to talk to you. I, as you guys know, killed a bunch of people, and yeah. I yeah. told the judge that I had that poster of Albert Einstein with his tongue sticking out, and oh, the judge yeah. immediately said, "Case dismissed." Yeah, mm-hmm. that is that poster is dangerous. Hundred <laughs> percent, really is. Uh, uh, but wait, I, I do want to say, like he uh, speaking of posters, he then goes home, and I think he has this moment where he's like, "This was my life, this simpler life, believing in superheroes and all of that," and sm- he smashes all of his shit because he knows that he can't ever go back to that. Um, yeah. And that's why he then sort of vacillates the other direction with Mother's Milk, and is like, "I liked it. I want to do more killing." And he's like, "Hey, man." That's not good either. <laughs> you yeah. need to find uh, some middle ground here, um, and that's where I why I think all of the storylines do sort of come together with the relationship developing with he, between he and Starlight because she is a stabilizing force for him. That's when he's with her, he's able to still maintain this sort of sweetness and the good qualities he had before he became uh, who he is in the boys. 
as well as being this person who is trying to change the world for the better. Uh, just yeah, to, it's also, oh, I, I just wanted to jump back to the bedroom scene for a second. And this is not exactly a dumb comment, but uh, something that, I, again, I think the show does very well and points to the fact that it's very well written is a lesser show would have Huey go into his room. You'd see all the posters. You'd see the action figures or everything. Simon Pegg would come in and be like, Huey, what's wrong? And he'd be like, superheroes. I used to love them. Then they killed, you know, and instead you just visually get it. You understand emotionally what he's going through and you don't need that speech to identify exactly what's going wrong or that journey is going on. What were you going to say, Pete? Uh, kind of along the lines of what you're saying, and but more specifically what Justin is saying, it's a kid who's trying <laughs> to graduate uh, from pizza rolls to beer and nachos. Mm. And as we know, mm. that's a tough leap. I mean, the real way to start off in life, I believe, is to start with mini pizza bagels. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then try to evolve from there. Although it's tough because that is the pinnacle of food. So in your mind, <laughs> pizza mini pizza bagels are a step up from pizza rolls. Yeah, I think we all know that. That's more of fact. a teenage. So a, a child is um, a uh, pizza roll. Mm-hmm. Then you sort of um, graduate into pizza bagels. And then yeah. that's a simple step. You become yeah, I mean, a, an adult. If we really want to break it down, it kind of—I think it starts, uh, you know, with the Flintstone vitamins, and then you graduate into the the original pizza. The, Go on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the McNuggets in the in the shape of dinosaurs, mm-hmm. and then from there it's pizza rolls, and then hopefully that cocoon opens and that person becomes a butterfly and goes to mini pizza bagels. That was the plot of Cocoon, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, um, and so many coming-of-age movies really uh, lean on this, um, this philosophy that you have. It, the, um, this is the unhealthy person's guide to being a grown-up. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to disagree with you, Pete, or anything. You're talking okay. like Totino's pizza rolls, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this might just be me, and maybe, it is, maybe I'm going to be contradicting myself when I say this, but I bought some Totinos for my daughter the other day. We had them in the freezer. Because yeah, you're a good father. Because I'm the best father. She was like, mm, I'm not going to eat those. I don't really like those. Because yes. she's older now. She's uh, pizza bagel age. And right. uh, I was like, fine, somebody's got to eat them, you know, because they're going to be sitting here in the freezer. And I ate them, and like... It immediately brought me back very specifically to the uh, pizza rolls that they used to have at Shea Stadium. Did you ever have those? Wow. Oh, my God. They were like pizza egg rolls, and they had little chunks of pepperoni in it. Best thing. So good. So I'm an adult. I'm a grown adult, as we've already established, far too old and obsessed with sex, right? Is that what's going on, Pete? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I enjoy a good pizza roll now and again. That's all I'm saying. But don't you understand, Alex, the the pizza rolls were, it's nostalgia. It was taking you back to a time when you were Mm -hmm. at Shea Stadium. So Pete's theory actually is holding a lot of water, or in (laughs) this case, pizza sauce. Zalbin, what you got to do is go out and get yourself some mini pizza bagels and then see what happens. When see, you I never liked the mini pizza bagels. I'm sorry. What did you just say? I just Let me just I say never... also, as far as your theory goes, Pete, it's weird that there's no actual pizza involved. <laughs> it's all just like weird bastardizations of pizza. <laughs> there's no such thing. I never liked pizza bagels. I never liked pizza bagels because like. You make them, and they're always, like, a little what too What did you high. eat in high school slash college area time? Like, what were you doing? What, what are we, we're pizza. 
I ate pizza. I didn't have pizza, bagels, or rolls, or any of these other little side journeys. Mm -hmm. I was in the main quest, which was for pizza. I'll tell you, my pizza and wings. My quick snack. LP fifty, LP fifty from Roma's in Clinton, New York. Large pizza, fifty wings. Boom. Wow. Uh, Matzo pizza is usually what I have. I like that. Take a little sauce, take a little cheese, put it on some uh, matzah. Good stuff. Uh, I you want to say the, something uh, about my religion, Pete? Oh my God, no! <laughs> Why would I do that? Uh, I was—I uh, mean, in college, it was Rogan's Pizza, and they had to deal where it was uh, like ten bucks for a medium pizza, twenty wings, and, and a drink, or an extra ten bucks, and they'll switch it out for pizza bagels, right? <laughs> I wish. Oh man, that would be a good deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That metaphor aside, we were talking about Huey. Uh, let's yeah. let's talk about the date a little bit more because I think this is another great scene in the episode. Um, so, in the middle of this heisty type thing, where they're trying to break into A Train's locker while he is in the midst of doing his big race, trying to prove himself, um, Frenchie is in the locker room about to break in, sort of doing the Mission Impossible thing. Starlight's about to go into the locker room, and instead Huey's like, hey, you want to grab a beer and some nachos? Let's go do it. And they have this very cute scene there. Um, I I love the relationship, and yes. I love him also just turning off the radio so Butcher can't hear them in the middle of it, which obviously is a little bit of a mistake in terms of his burner shooting race than there, but it really doubles down on the fact that what he is feeling and for her and with her is real. Well, I like the way that he, in these moments, he vacillates between saying to her, like, oh, um, come get a beer with me. This helps the plan that my group is doing. Yeah. Uh, and then when he, gets also- with, when he gets to be with her, then he's like, I'm going to turn off my radio because now I'm with her and I care for her. So, like, he but- is feeling both at the same time. Yeah. And it's also, like, because he is a little a little bit more of a nerdy, unsure dude, like, he almost needs that push of Butcher being like, hey, we know we need her. Like, don't, yeah, talk to her, distract her. We need a little distraction here. So he kind of needed that push to talk to her. And then what he said was, do you want to go get an overpriced beer? And then she adorably said, if you throw in some overpriced nachos. And then that brings us to the nice romantic beer and nachos date, which was Fantastic. But then we get a cut to the race and Mother's Milk looks down at his phone and then he gives the you know line that we all know from Goodwill Hunting, I gotta go see about a girl. So they are really playing that whole rom com. That was lovely. And Pete as a huge rom com fan and uh man Ron who, Williams quote. Uh nice, good. Uh and a man who believes that the best date possible is overpriced beer and overpriced nachos. Um, you are the expert here, so we, as always, defer to you. I mean, not the best, but definitely up there. And a little beer and nachos, I mean, that's that's romantic. With your current girlfriend on your first date, you took her out for regular price nachos and beer and then insisted on paying double, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also romance. does end with a very cute line at the end of it where he asks her out on a real date. Uh, and I believe he says, should I call you or commit a crime? Uh, which yeah. very cute. across very the board. And then she jokingly yes ended that bit and was like, it would be easier to get a hold of me if you committed a crime. Yeah, they're just Great. very cute together. And I think yep. it's 
it's very different from the comic where Huey is Simon Pegg. He's shy. Yeah. He's nebbishy across the board. But here it's Jack Quaid, who is more of the charming romantic comedy lead. So for them yeah. to lean into that, I think, is a very smart choice. Uh, no- uh, oh, go ahead. Another thing I want to talk about real quick is I love the way this show, the the sort of ESPN style package that opens up a lot of this A-Train versus Shockwave stuff. And the way all of this is handled is so good. Like it, it's an expensive, expensive things they do on this show that are only there to serve the world building. And it, this show just does a great job across the board of making everything feel real. And it feels like a small gesture, but it actually makes all of the satire they're doing about our modern culture really resonate much more because it feels so real. The other thing that I think really works about the A-Train storyline, and if you haven't watched the episode in a while and don't remember, uh, so he has to win this race or he is going to be out of the seven. Obviously, he's the guy who ran through Huey's girlfriend in the first episode, but... I remember very clearly this was the episode where I realized, oh, this show is very good. And the reason (laughs) I think it's very good is because this horrific character who essentially should be the maniacal villain in any other show, you feel for him by the end of this episode. Like, he fucks up so many times, but at the same time, him like, I'm going to lose my job. Uh, They're going to get rid of me. I'll have nothing in my life. He uses this compound V. He's clearly drugged up. That's bad. He's hurting his relationship with Constantine's boyfriend, who's his brother, uh, and hurting his relationship with his girlfriend, Popclaw, and everything else. Like, There's so much going on in this episode at the same time that gets you into emotionally in his life when two episodes prior, he was the worst human being alive. Well, and I, I feel like s- this really maps so well when most of this show is about like celebrity culture and sort of the problems uh, associated with that on both sides. This feels this episode feels specifically about a- athlete culture, like professional athletes. And that's why I think why we feel for A-Train, like he's someone who's trying to just maintain his lifestyle that he got to. And I think the compound V in this episode specifically uh, maps with steroid use and all of that. So he feels like he has to use it to, to keep his life going. Even despite the fact that it's fucking up, he killed someone, it's fucking up his life across the board. Uh, just a, a way to pivot pivot the metaphor of the show like the, in just this episode alone, I think is it's really hard to do. Well, I think that you guys feel for A-Train. I sure shit don't um, because you see that he is lying to his quote unquote girlfriend um, he, she thinks that he is doing all these things for them. He, it seems like, is very much using her uh, and is never going to give her the recognition that, uh, that she is looking for or the, the kind of validation uh, that she needs. And um, it's, you know, it's, he's just running from his problems. Very quickly. Uh, you know. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, he's got to really start kind of taking responsibility for himself and his actions. As she pointed out to him, you ran through a girl, you know, so. Um, well, and what and I like about, though, their relationship is, yes, he's using her, but also she's using him. She wants to get back um, in, into the public eye. She wants to be his girlfriend yeah, so that cameras, she'll be famous again. She seems more generally interested in their relationship. And then, yes, she would like to get back in because they are dating 
and I don't think she's like really using him. It seems like she's more about the love. Than Maybe, but let me throw this to you. It's hard to feel too much sympathy for her when later in the episode she takes a bunch of compound V and straight up kills a dude, <laughs> right, yeah. with her thighs, yeah. with her thighs. Well, yeah, but she's it's not on purpose. You can tell by the look of horror. You know, she was just trying to, you know, uh, have a good sexual experience, and then uh, oh, you does so, so, but accidentally saying that as an murder somebody and squeezes oh, their head out through the top. Oh, it's weird because it would be, I don't know if you know this, but what you just said is like she was just trying to have a good kissing uh, experience. <laughs> All I heard was she's trying to have a good, and then your head turned into that. God, I really again. don't want to ever hear you make that weird noise again. You're the one who made that weird noise. Um, but I do think, like. I think you can feel sympathy for all of these characters, despite yes. the the bad choices they've made. It's we're watching them make these mistakes, and they do feel like, especially Popclaw, it does feel like she is has some good in her. She's someone who wants to like do better with her life, but she's caught in these circumstances that are just not working for her. And then it ends up that she kills this person, then has to betray the A train, who whether she loves him or not, she like is in a relationship she wants to continue with. For the sake of the boys getting their information, and the boys aren't being super heroic here, they are blackmailing this person who's in a, a terrible circumstance. Well, and Butcher lets the man, lets the landlord die in this yeah, situation. He, yeah. Uh, the the thing that I want to kind of step back and, or rather pivot off that a little bit is I think one of the major themes of the episode that I took away is everybody is afraid of something or somebody. And that, again, is, I think, why you get into A-Train's head, because he's scared of losing this fame. Popclaw is exactly the same way. Uh, Maeve isn't exactly scared of the home, Homelander, but she's certainly frustrated at him, yeah. and, but can't say anything because he would kill her. But even yeah. Homelander, and I think this is such a smart decision, you get that great scene where Stillwell is with her baby in the yes. office, uh, running around, the baby screaming and crying, uh, and she's telling Homelander he needs to give this speech, and he's like, come on, I'm Homelander. I'm American yeah. personified. I don't need a speech. And she says, Mr. Edgar wrote it personally. We don't know who Mr. Edgar is, but he stops. Yeah, he stops and just grabs the speech without a word. Uh, so yeah. even he, even Homelander, the most powerful character in the show that we've met so far, answers to somebody and is scared of something, and that's such a great decision. He's, he's also kind of scared of babies. Yes. He hates that, well, he hates that baby specifically. That is the funniest shot like, of the episode, him looking at the baby and the baby staring yeah. back at him. Great stuff. The, the, that fucking baby was eyeballing Homelander. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just goo goo gaga. And she, that baby was like, I will fuck you up, Homelander. Yeah. It's true. That yeah, was the yeah. baby's first words. Yeah. I mean, same I don't same know with me. Where uh, they got that baby, but that's one of the best baby acting jobs I've ever seen in my life. It's actually an, uh, a 14 uh, year old um, man. Oh, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> Thank sense. Thank you. Thank you for saying it was a bad, uh, <laughs> because of course, that baby has well, been bar mitzvah. Well, yeah, he's Ben Barmitz, but and he's eating pizza bagels. So <laughs> you can tell that's a fucking man. Let's talk about Mother's Milk because that's obviously yeah. the big new Great. character that's introduced this episode. Uh, he is a little different than he is in the comic books, but I really I love his intro. He's working yeah, in prison a- at a very violent ping pong tournament, uh, and then his relationship with Huey, as we've touched on as well, just gives the show a very different layer like they do 
I know we keep lauding everything, but they do a very good job of immediately setting up his relationships with everybody on the show so far, how they're going to be different. He has a relationship with Butcher where he doesn't like them, but is very into killing soups with him. Really doesn't like Frenchie, but they get over that. Clearly bonds with Huey as the new guy. Um, great stuff. I enjoyed him. What would you guys think of him? I really liked how he was introduced. You know, he's a rules guy. He's an order guy. He likes things arranged on his desk. He's you got to respect the rules of Pong. Uh, really cool. But also, what's great about this is they tell so much. Like, Butcher uh, got Frenchie involved because he gave too much information. Mother's Milk was like, don't say another thing. Like, he's already fallen for that once. Butcher is just running scams on all the people he knows. He is really kind of this driving force for what we think may be good, but also seems very evil. And I liked how uh, Mother's Milk was very, very on to him and, like, wouldn't let him be conned until Butcher was kind of like, guess what? We killed the soup. And that was, like, too much for him. Uh, But also the Rick Roll uh, ringtone was really hysterical. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like about Mother's Milk is um, he's the heart of the team. And it feels like the, the team across the board um, are all like aspects of Huey, our main character, I feel like, where you have Butcher is his desire for revenge, uh, sort of pure and simple. And that's what they identify uh, each other, that in each other. Mother's Milk is his heart, someone who's like, hey, man, be cool. You can have a life in, within without this. And Frenchie's sort of the cold, analytical, I will solve this problem without the moral background. Like that's why he blows up translucent because of the sort of the Frenchie in him. And so having mother's milk, it really uh, gives a grounding to all this team and makes them really a people you can watch and root for. I think it'd be hard to root for butcher and Frenchie just fucking everything up. And he would be in like, <laughs> what's happening. Yeah. A uh, couple of other quick little bits that I wanted to call out that I liked in particular in this episode. Uh, for the big race, there's all this buildup for it, crowds, sponsorship, and everything. And then, of course, it's a super speed race, so it's done in under a second, which I thought is just such a funny, smart detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I really liked uh, quite a bit that's, again, like a very specific comic joke, and it's been done a million times, but I think they did it really well. At the end of the episode, when the Deep is revealing that he has the case that Translucent is in, he very casually throws out, he says, well, I talked to a friend of mine, and Homelander breaks yeah. it as like, it was a fucking porpoise. Again, with the, you know, Good stuff. doing the dolphin fucking joke. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime you, the Aquaman jokes are great. They yeah. work really well here because, uh, well, like the deep is such a like dick. Like yeah. he's so uh, he wants he's trying so hard to be something that he's not. And so all of those jokes undercut him in just the right way. And it's speaking of kind of like tropes at work. Uh, Homelander uh, kind of shows up late to the race a little bit and does his superhero landing. Um, and we get another taste of like how. Uh, two-faced Homelander is when when he's in the crowd where he's being super nice and you are the real heroes here and all the kind of like talk that were that's scripted and then like kind of whispers to his mouth, you fucking assholes, as he's like waving to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, another thing I want to hit um, is I think connecting Huey and Butcher in this episode, you have the moment where um, A-Train uh, shows up at the place when Huey and Mother's Milk are undercover as the tech guys. And Huey challenges him. He's like, he thinks he's going to recognize him. A-Train doesn't recognize him. And he stands there and like 
tries to be recognized by him to have the confrontation. And yeah. Butcher, Butcher, in which great scene, Butcher in very, very much the same way during the race, Homelander's there like 50 feet from him, and the whole crowd is uh, cheering for the race, and he's the only one turned making hard eye contact with Homelander, challenging him like in and the same way. And even makes Homelander uneasy. Like both of these people are trying to fuck up their plan. Like, Butcher can't keep it together, and neither can Huey. I mean, Huey had that moment of panic in the hallway, but then it's like, don't we know each other? And Mother's Milk, like, what are you, are you trying to get us killed? And, like, walks him out of there, saves the day. Well, well they're I willing think, to sacrifice everything for the revenge they have. Well, I, th- I do think it's two slightly different things. I think for Butcher, the thing is, he's selling it as this great crusade against the evil superheroes, but really for him, it's personal. We haven't learned exactly yet in the show what it's all about. We do find out later on, uh, though there's been hints of it. Uh, But for him, he will sacrifice absolutely everything to get at Homelander. That's basically what's happening with him. With Huey, I think the thing that's happening in that scene that's so smart is... He runs into A-Train. He's immediately terrified because he's like, oh, shit, this is going to fuck up the plan. And when A-Train doesn't recognize him, that's even worse. Because yeah, yeah. angry. Yeah, because that's how little killing Huey's girlfriend meant to A-Train. He doesn't remember him. He doesn't remember her. It's just another thing that happened in his superhero life. And I think that's why he challenges him is he's like, fuck you. Fuck you for forgetting who I am. Remember who I am. Get angry about it. Kill me. That'll prove that this actually meant something to you the way that it meant to me. And what's interesting is like when we kind of meet Mother's Milk, he knows about more about Butcher and we kind of get like, he's like, is this about Becca for you? Is this about, and like we get some names. Uh, and then also mother's milk talks about a Monique, uh, I believe it is, or Monica, um, at, who is his girlfriend and how they are back together and how he's working hard on that relationship. And there's a fun when we get the Rick roll, uh, ringtone the way he talks to his girlfriend people make fun of him for but it's also very sweet yeah yeah uh any other final points about this episode other things that you dudes wanted to bring up uh just uh another great episode in this show that is able to do so much at the same time that's what i think is the the most amazing part about it um <clears throat> across the board yeah. uh the other thing i wanted to talk about is I really liked how Mother Smoke was like, fine, but uh, I, I'm not working with Frenchie. And Butcher was like, I haven't seen him in years. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, like, oh, just, uh, the, yeah, it says so much. Good bits. Good bits throughout. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about our best boy of the episode, though. Who was the best boy? Pete, you want to kick it off? Oh, uh, I'm going to have to say Huey just because of all he went through. Um you know, uh, it's just really impressive to see the range of this main character and the fact of all the emotions that he's pulling off at once and everything that's happening so fast. I really like how he lost it in his room. Uh, that was really powerful, as you mentioned, Zelbs. The show don't tell. Um, but one thing I wanted to say uh, as well is like, it's real fun to kind of like the first time I watched this I was like who's bad like it seems like everybody's kind of bad so it's like this real interesting like who's the worst as these 
uh, kind of like episodes unfold. It's not like a clear line in the sand of what's what. And, uh, you know, I think Starlight said it where she was like, you know, once you kind of see behind the curtain, you can't go back. Yeah. What about you, Justin? Best boy of the episode? I mean, I got to give it up for the most uh, most heroic character and the just a concerned citizen, the porpoise that reported the mm-hmm. uh, ch- wow. the chest that sunk there. He's like, "Hey, I should go talk to the deep." Um, mm-hmm. He's often on land, but he I'll actually does it pro- professionally. He's a reporter. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he works for Squeak 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 Weekly. Squeak Squeak Squeakly. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I hope someday I'm over a porper for a squeak, squeak, squeakly. That's the it's the Time Magazine of the underwater. It is kind of um, fallen to the wayside a little bit at the bar. It used day, to have more prestige, and exactly. now it's a little bit more like entertainment squeakly. But it's um, a job. But <laughs> let me uh, also give it up for. Um, Did you know um, that they're coming out squeakly now? <laughs> oh my god! It's crazy. I got a. I accidentally squeak scribed to Entertainment Squeakly, and they just keep sending the issues, even though it, it squeak spired uh, over a year ago. Yeah, you got to cancel your prescription. Pork, pork <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, Pete is uh, just wondering what the purpose of this whole conversation is. <laughs> oh, just when uh, I think we're all, it's, uh, um, please stop. For the love of God. Let me give it up for Mother's Milk, um, though, as my uh, best boy. Like I said earlier, the true grounding center of the team, someone that keeps the boys from wobbling off into becoming like straight-up villains in their own right. And it's great to have them in the show. You know what? I got to give it up for A-Train this episode. Uh, he ah. is, I know, Pete. He's reprehensible. He's a villain. If he died the next episode, that'd be absolutely fine. But I'm just so impressed on the journey they took him on in this episode, how much you get to see inside of his head and what he's going through in his life and how they flesh that out. And like I said, I think you still want the seven to die. You want the boys to win and take them down. But the fact that we get a twinge of sympathy for this character in this episode is so impressive and so nice to see. I tell you that goddamn baby should get the best boy. That was a hell of an actor. Best yes. baby. You should have picked that, but it's too late. You already picked the yep. thing that you picked. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you you, you Sorry don't remember. You just said the thing that you picked. Yeah, you picked the thing you picked. I don't remember. <laughs> that was a while ago. We had a whole <laughs> discussion so about porpoises in the middle there. Yeah. But that's exactly. where my brain's at. Uh, All right. Before we wrap up here, a couple of things to plug patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and all the shows we do. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We love to chat with you about the boys. Socially, you can check us out at Hear It For The Boys with the number four on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, also, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. And hey, Merry Christmas for me and the rest <laughs> of the boys. It's true. It's seasonal podcast. What the fuck? I did a whole thing about... Uh, do Remember you at the beginning? I hear... Back at the beginning. It was a callback. Oh, it was a callback. Okay, yeah. Well, that was a while ago. I don't remember that. We talked about porpoises. <laughs> squeak, squeak, baby. <laughs>